Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hi everyone, it's Casey from Training with Casey. What a coincidence, right? Hey, thank you for the introduction, Joseph. And tonight we're doing Bringing Home the Horses number five, Gutters, Goats, and Hay. So, boy, am I learning how much I don't know. So, first of all, the straightforward stuff, gutters. I say straightforward, but it's not so straightforward as you might think. Recently, I got my apartment building new gutters, and... These three guys came to this apartment building. They had to do 2,000. Oh, I'm sorry. They had to do 220 feet. I got a, a little overly ambitious there. And it took them an hour or two. It was amazing. We only have to do 28 feet. It took the better part of a day. When you do gutters professionally, it all gets rolled out of one big, long piece of metal. When you do them at home, you buy them generally in pieces that are either 8 or 12 feet long. And then you have lots of little gutter parts. There are straps to hold them up and clip them in. There are little, you know, corners. There's additions that you put in so that you can add a downspout. There are joiners. There are end caps. And all of these things go in different directions because sometimes you have to curve around something and sometimes you have to, you know, go into a corner and back out again. So you might go on the outside of a curve or on the inside of a corner. So we were trying to get it done in time today because we're supposed to have rain for the entire next week. How hard could it be, right? I'll tell you what the hardest part is. Making sure the gutter will drain. And how do you do that? Well, theoretically, you could take a string, right? And put it from the high point on one side of the building and to the low point on the other end of the building and maybe draw the line. But in real life, the little string sags enough that you're not going to get a straight line. And so how can you do this? Well, I'll tell you later if it works well. But what we did is we knew the little clips to keep the gutters up were going to be approximately every two or three feet. So then we got a lar- uh, we got a long level and mounted the clips on the fascia board of the building. And then we put the level between the two clips and we just wanted 
uh, we were going from south to, I'm sorry, west to east. And so we wanted the little bubble to be just on the west side of center. Because then we knew it was going downhill. It didn't have to go downhill a lot. It just had to let the water drain out. So we did all that and that seemed to work. But you're still not out of the woods because let's say when you get to the end and you're going to put the downspout in, you have to join two pieces of gutter. And so to do this, they give you a little connector piece. So you slide two gutters together and then you put this little kind of like a band around it. Well, to keep it there, you take little tiny screws and screw them in. When you do that, you can disturb the orientation of the layers. And all of a sudden you have big gaps that will let all the water come out of the gutter and down on the ground right there. Well, that's what you're trying not to do. So you do it again. And I'm still, I didn't read the directions myself. So if this is really wrong and you know, go ahead and write me and I'll look into it further. But Dave had some kind of stuff that's supposed to steal the gutters, seal the gutters. And really, it seemed more like Vaseline than anything else. So however long it takes it to set up, it didn't set up while we were working with it. And it was really greasy feeling. And of all things, guys, is this a guy thing? They brought a sock to wipe our hands on. Now, we're not talking about a size 13 crew sock, which would be what Dave would have. It was like a size 9 ankle sock, for goodness sakes. You can't wipe handfuls of gutter snipe stuff on a little tiny booty sock, but we did it anyway. So we put the whole thing up. It actually looks really good. It did not rain yet, and we had to finish the day in a hurry. So tomorrow, first thing, if we can get out there before it really lets loose, we'll um, run a hose from one end or a bucket of water, pour it down the gutters, make sure it goes where we want to. But we're so relieved we got it up because... It's going to take the water out to a place where it's going to be better for the horses. So where it let, what it was happening up till now is it was just dripping off the end of this metal roof. And it's gradually wearing a little trough right on the outside of the lean-to area. So we have several times put some more dirt in there, but we keep needing to put more dirt in there. Meanwhile, I'd gotten all these stable mats and the idea was to level out the dirt there and then put the stable mats upside down on top of it to make a little apron. Now, the reason I was going to do this is because it would help keep the interior of the lean-to cleaner and 
it would prevent the horses from getting the area outside the lean-to all mucky and be safer for them and cleaner and easier to clean. And then we're planning to take these stall mats. We got 28, okay, spoiler alert, and go straight out to the round pen. And then we can walk around around that round pen. Believe it or not, that's a goal. But we also, you may recall, had a problem with round pen and that the water was stacking up. And Carson just came back and did what he thought would fix that score. We went out today after really a lot of rain and no wet spots. No wet spots in the round pen. Outstanding. Okay, so getting back to our gutters. Now we have to add the downspout, but we're about to do something strategic, which is to add between 1,000 and 2,000 gallons of water storage. So all this rain comes off, and if you don't do something with the water, it just goes all around the foundation of the building and it can actually weaken. It can uh, get in the dirt and stir around and you know make like little rivers of sand or whatever kind of dirt it is. And you can actually crack your concrete slab that the you know workshop is on. By the way, I sometimes call it barn, sometimes workshop. I have schizophrenia when it comes to picking words. So it's all the same place. So we're going to get these two above ground tanks. They'll either be, you know, blue, green or black to prevent algae growth. I'm going to have to figure out how to filter them. And the idea is to take this water that is a problem if it weakens the foundation or makes the area mucky for the horses to be in and turn it into an asset. Now, horses drink five gallons of water a piece a day. And you know what? Ours are pretty close to being right on the money for that. So if you were worried about having enough water for your horses for a year, you'd need for two horses, 10 gallons a day. That's why we have two horses. It's easier to figure this stuff out. 3,650 gallons of water. Now, if I get two 1,000 gallon tanks, I only have enough for somewhere around six months. I think that'll be fine. And if it starts getting worrisome, we will get another tank later on. Um, it's not just a matter of how much water, but we have two sides to this workshop barn. There, I, I added the words together, so we're good. So um, that's the other reason to get one for the other side. That way, we'll be protecting that side as well. And we can deliver the water from the tank to the swale. And in the swale, it will water the pine trees that are you know shading the area 
and the poison ivy that we're trying to get rid of and the wisteria. Yeah, there's always, you know, complications, right? So still thinking about it, still deciding the total number, but wanting to have water storage on hand. Now, by the way, it's not just for the horses because if things continue to get hotter and drier as they are continuing to get, and if we keep getting more and more extreme weather, uh, for example, if we lose electrical power, we lose our pump for our well. So in that case, we would need to use stored water. And you know me, I already have three different ways to distill or purify water. At least three, probably more like five or six. You need to have redundancy in essential systems. Okay, so waiting for the tank to come, which will come mid-August, means that we can't do the permanent fence for the paddock just yet. So we've been taking the horses out to graze them all over the yard. Now, as you also know, I keep looking up new plants. And um, there's one called, I believe it's called Pennsylvania knotweed. And we have a lot of it. And it was knee high. Fortunately, my horses really like it. And fortunately, it's really good for them. And they even sell it as a supplement. So score! After trying to poison my horses inadvertently, of course, it's nice to know that I offered them something really good. But there's so much to learn because you know what they're not eating? They're not eating violets. Now, violets are so full of vitamin C. What's not to like? Something. So I'll find out more about that too, but they're not interested in violets. And we have to watch for mushrooms because when you have a lot of trees and it's shady and there's a fair amount of rain, you're gonna get mushrooms. And we found that the horses are not necessarily perfect when it comes to figuring out what's toxic and what's not. Like today I was taking Sarah outside to graze and on the way out, she grabs a huge chunk or a hunk of wisteria leaves. No, don't eat that. My goodness. Who knew, right? She likes them. I guess it's kind of like people liking French fries, even though they have trans fats. Okay, so that's gutters. And with a little side trip into round pen and water tanks and the fact that we'll be able to filter and use that water for the horses and any other animals or people here. And by the way, our main way of uh, getting our water to drinkable form is a Berkey filter. And I've tried lots of, lots of other things and they all have good features, but the Berkey is quiet, no electricity required, light, it's just easier and, and very nice. All right, so I said gutters and goats. We have so much poison ivy. 
and we have a lot of honeysuckle. And then there's other things too, but it turns out we have to be careful because the goats are like the horses. They have a good ability to eat a lot of weird things, but they can't eat every weird thing. So uh, plants that birds drop in here, like they're you know, flying overhead or they're roosting here and they poop out a privet berry. And then all of a sudden, we, didn't, we never have had a privet tree on purpose, but we've had gazillions of them planted by helpful birds or squirrels or somebody's doing it. And so I can spot a privet tree that's only six inches tall at a thousand paces and come running over and pull it out of the ground. And they're usually pretty easy to pull out, but you have to do it. They're very toxic. Um, Virginia creeper is toxic. Wisteria, you know all about. Poison ivy is not toxic, but it's very hazardous because your horse likes to eat it and they can eat it just fine. And they do. And then they come over and just oh so affectionately muzzle you. They just press their muzzle into your cheek or your arms or whatever. And then a couple of hours later, you start to realize you have a terrible itch. That brings us to another rabbit hole. And that is we have jewelweed growing here naturally. And it is fantastic for poison ivy. So if you get poison ivy kisses from a horse, you can just grab some jewelweed, put it in a pot, cover it with water, boil it. It turns a deep amber orange. You strain it off and can it. Then whenever you need some of this anti-poison ivy stuff, and, and it's good for more than that, it displaces bad stuff in your skin cell receptors. In the case of poison ivy, urushiol. So you take this can of jewelweed tea, and when you need to use it, you pour it into a Ziploc bag. So you open it, pour it into a Ziploc bag, and then lay it flat in the freezer so it um, freezes in a flat sheet. So we usually do it in one cup jars, and that makes a nice, fairly thin slice of ice made out of this jewelweed. And then you take these orange chunks of ice and you rub them over your arms, your hands, your cheek, what, wherever you need to um, fight off the poison ivy. Now, you know you got exposed to poison ivy, but you don't have it yet. You can rub it on those areas, especially if you've already washed with dishwater soap or Fells naphtha, and then it will remove all the rest of the poison ivy and you won't get it. However, here is the absolutely golden thing about it. And that is that even if you get poison ivy, it will, for us at least, it will stop it and it'll stop it from itching in about 15 minutes. Now, it'll eventually start itching again. You have to apply more, but 
it is amazing that anything can stop the itching. Nothing else that I've tried does. And then you just keep applying it several times a day. And it's just like applying cool water because, you know, it's just an ice cube. And your poison ivy will go away in about five days, even if it already started blistering. This should be the national plant of America. This is like such an important plant. And we have it. Yes, score. All right. So that's what to do if you've got poison ivy on the premises and you could get exposed to it. Make sure you make some of that and keep it. Now, you cannot put it in the refrigerator. So you notice when I said make the tea, I didn't say and then keep it in the refrigerator for the next two weeks. It will develop mold in a matter of days. But if you freeze it, it works for years. I have some that's like seven years old that still works really well. Okay, so getting back to goats, I had read that they were, uh, that pine trees were toxic to them. And we already know the wisteria and uh, probably pokeweed, but I didn't look that one up. Virginia creeper, privet, a, a lot of the plants that are problems for us are problems for goats also. So it's not like you can just go get a goat and just because they will eat everything doesn't mean they should or can. As a matter of fact, I got a five pound bag of activated charcoal so that I can add it to the horse's feed or eventually the goat's feed or ours, whatever, um, if we get exposures to anything that we know. So I know that my horses got exposed to a couple of toxic plants, and now I'll be able to just give them some charcoal, some activated charcoal in their food, and it will take out a lot of those toxins. So the bad news about goats, like are we going to actually get goats? Because the purpose of the goats is twofold. It is to eat the bad weeds, bad as in the ones we don't want, and to possibly be companions for the horses. Here's the bad news about goats. They get out. They're really, really, really skilled at getting out. But I found out that if we get goats and use livestock wire, which is the two by four inch uh, squares, and then you put an electric wire at about knee height, that's according to my friend and goat expert, Catherine Weld. And then if you're worried about like coyotes coming in or something like that, you can also do a wire on the top of the fence line, but you need one lower down so that the goats don't keep leaning into the fence and, you know, causing it to misshape and fail. That's the big thing. So the other bad thing about goats is that they don't live very long. They generally live about nine or 10 years. Gosh, that's heartbreaking. We'll have to think about that. I mean, I, you know, animal person, all kinds of animals don't live very long. 
but gosh, we'll be so sad when one dies. All right. Well, anyway, so that's the story on goats. Big fences. You've got to be careful about what you let them have access to as far as what they eat. You have to have the electricity for the fences. And um, and they need to be able to eat browse. Browse is like trees and shrubs and so on. And they do not do as well on grass. They're not grazers. And if you start grazing them, one expert was saying, then you're going to, you know, they'll live, but they'll have more mastitis and more hoof problems and more parasites. They just don't quite thrive. So jury is out on goats. So the last thing, gutters, goats, and hay. So I read, you know me in reading, I read that you want to buy your hay in late June and early July. It's first cutting hay. So I went down and I bought some very nice hay in mid-June. Do you think I asked when this hay had been cut? No, I did not ask that. I had read that, that you buy your hay at this time. Well, the horses really liked it. It was very nice. And we went back to get more of it. But it, there wasn't any more. Other people had liked it too, and it was all gone. But we got some more beautiful looking hay and it smells just heavenly. And this is like orchard and Timothy grass mix. And it looks, oh my gosh, like spun gold, right? And a pharaoh loves it and Sarah will not touch it. Why? She's not telling, but she will not eat that hay. And she was very distressed. She came to me and she's like uh, nickering at me. <laughs> and I'm saying, well, Sarah, um, what don't you like about it? Do you like this one? Do you like that one? Well, she got to the point where she wouldn't eat any of them. And I checked with um, Dory at the stable that she used to be with and Lynn, who used to own the stable. And they were so kind and generous as to, you know, tell me their experiences, not only with hay, but they both knew Sarah with hay. And can you believe I've known Sarah for 30 years and I didn't realize that she prefers to graze rather than eat hay. So I took her out to graze. And as I mentioned earlier, she got a bunch of Pennsylvania knotweed. Outstanding. But Dave went out right away to buy some more hay. And Lynn had suggested alfalfa. So we went out to a local place that is known to carry lots of different kinds of hay. And I had told them that I wanted two string hay. The bales weigh about 20 pounds. It costs, um, you know, somewhere around $13. And the other option was to get three string hay which weighs about 110 pounds, I think they said. And that was alfalfa. That stuff is packed so tight. It's another string taller, so 
you know, it's somewhere around 50% taller and the bales are longer. They're definitely heavier, but they're costing. All right, let's do the math. So if the other ones weigh 20 pounds and these weigh 110, so 110 divided by 20 equals five and a half. So $13 times five and a half equals $71. Oh, you know what? Maybe they are a really good deal because these cost us $59 each and they are so heavy. So we went ahead and got them and kept them and we may go get more. And why would we get more? Because I am one of those people that likes to be prepared ahead of times, especially with animals. Like you never know what could happen. The roads could get blocked. The, um, you know, electricity can go out, just all kinds of problems. So I like to make sure I have plenty of food on hand, plenty of water storage, you know, whatever we need that we have redundancy. So we're trying to actually purchase an entire year's worth of hay. And it turns out that that would be about, well, to get us to the next hay season. So that's only about 11 more months. So it's not quite a full year. We said we need 16 bales a month times 11 is equal to 176 bales. We just bought 40. So that's another 136 bales. So let's multiply that times 13. That's $1,768. So we're going to do some more calculations. Oh, I'll do it right now. Divided by 13 equals, okay, 136. Okay, 136 times 20 pounds equals 2,720 divided by 110 pounds equals 2,472. It would only be 25 bales of hay times 59 equals $1,458.91. Well, that's actually a considerable savings, isn't it? And it's for alfalfa hay. Okay, more calculations coming up. So now there was another complication with the last shipment of hay before we got these really big bales. And that was this beautiful Timothy hay 
uh, had loose bale twine on it. So it was coming apart and the bales were not an even size or an even density. And boy, does our haystack look like a mess right now. Now that's partially because we're learning as we go and it's a close environment. It's not so easy to uh, move things around as it often is. But anyway, things started coming apart in the hay room. Fortunately, we've just like covered up all the places where the rain is likely to blow in. And so everything should be fine. If you get water and hay, don't forget it can mold and the mold can cause heat and you can have spontaneous combustion. So it's a big deal how you store your hay. Meanwhile, when we saw Sarah wasn't eating all the hay, we stacked the rest of that that we had still in the truck under a carport, you know, covered carport on a concrete pad on top of pallets, put all this hay out. Then we added the four bales of hay that cost uh, $250, yikes. Covered it all with black plastic, weighed it down with uh, logs, because we're expecting an entire week of heavy rains. So we think that stuff is all safe now. And we're going to just keep purchasing hay right now. And the reason is because we're in the prime cutting time. But newsflash, remember I said that we were buying hay now because first cutting. Well, it turns out the hay that Sarah really liked was second cutting hay from last October. Now, I'll tell you another thing that I want to know about my hay, but I don't know it for sure. And that is, has it been exposed to glyphosate? So has the field been sprayed with glyphosate before the hay was um, seeded? And then did they use glyphosate to desiccate the hay? So besides being an antibiotic and a herbicide, an herbicide, glyphosate is also a desiccant and it will help accelerate the drying of crops. It's even put on potatoes. So if you're not buying organic food, even organic food is still contaminated with glyphosate these days. But if it's not organic, I wonder how much glyphosate is in there because if you eat a non-organic potato and they use glyphosate to cure the potatoes, could be bad. So that's the end of the hay story up till now. And I still don't understand why Sarah suddenly quit eating the other kinds of hay. But after she came in from grazing, she was happy to eat more hay. It may be that she needs a little bit of both. That's the end of the news flashes for tonight. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I feel like I have company out there. That's a nice feeling. And 
Here's till next time. And we'll talk more about um, the experiences of having horses at home, which you could also call endless weeding of wisteria and poison ivy, at least. Pokeweed also, trumpet vines, they're toxic. Smilax, because it has thorns and grows up all over the place. Creeping, uh, Virginia creeper, gill over the ground, cat's ears. Never want to have a yew tree anywhere near a horse. Good night, everybody. Take care. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.